frustrating situations. Seven years ago, this Sunday, God brought something back to my mind. I, there was two or three things I was considering preaching today. And I'm actually preaching a message that I preached seven years ago today. Seven years ago today. And I didn't know that, and the Lord brought me to this particular subject and these particular verses. And then I went and looked in seven years and two days exactly. I preached a message similar to this. Back then, I called it, Do You Ever Feel Like Pulling Your Hair Out? <laughs> Frustrating situations. It looks like maybe I've already done that. There are all kinds of things in life that are frustrating and difficult. And, uh, and there's a whole lot of things that you have been through that has not been easy. And we're going to talk about people and specifically today, but there are so many things. For Yvonne and Roger, it has been a physically frustrating experience. And along with the physical frustrating experience that they've been through, it's also created frustration in the workplace trying to get a job done that when he took it, he never dreamed that he would be dealing with the physical situation that he's been in. Some of you have been through frustrating times in your marriage relationship. Don't look at me like, are you kidding, really? If you've been married, you've had some times of frustration. I promise you. And the men and the men are thinking, yeah, it's all that woman you gave me, God. And the, and the women are saying, yeah, God, it's that man. He's been pretty frustrating. Some of you have been through some very difficult times, uh, uh, frustrating times financially. There's things that's come up that you were not expecting to come up, and it was, it, it was just so frustrating, difficult. You say, that sounds like me. Everything you said sounds like me. Probably is. Probably is. So that's what we're going to do today. I want to begin with Luke chapter 18, verse number 1. And, uh, and there's five verses here, but I'm going to read one of them. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Would you say that with me? Always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. You ever felt like giving up? You ever felt like pulling out your hair? <laughs> Always pray and never give up. 
I'm going to help you today if you listen to me. I'm going to help you through some more frustrating experiences that you'll face in life because although you've experienced some frustrating times, you have not yet faced your last difficulty. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Always pray and never give up. All of us experienced the heartache and frustration of feeling completely powerless to help people who seemingly didn't want anybody's wise advice or direction. We've all dealt with frustrating situations that's left us angry. Amen. Confused. Disappointed. And weary. There's things that will wear you out. There are people that will wear you out. There are problems that will wear you out. We're going to talk about one of God's leaders that we read about in the Bible. His name's Ezra, who became so frustrated and upset with God's people that he literally pulled some of his hair out. Literally pulled some of his hair out. Read that in a little while. Let's 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 do a little Bible lesson here. It, it's kind of important. It, it'll just help you, give you a little background. The Bible, of course, is is, is an amazing book. Uh, it's written by forty different authors from three different continents who spoke three different languages over a period of sixteen hundred years. That's amazing. It's amazing. None of these writers knew that their book would be included in one big book called the Bible. They were inspired by God to pen words that would become the number one bestseller of all time and continue to be so. And it is literally God-breathed living word. And the cool thing about that, they wrote that over a period of 1,600 years in three different languages. They did not, uh, the majority of them did not know each other, and they did not live in the same time period. And yet, there is total agreement in God's Word. It takes the Holy Spirit to do that. There's no other book like the Bible because it is the inspired Word of God. When, it, when reading the Bible, when you look at the Bible, it's important to know that the books of the Bible are not in chronological order. I think I've told you this before. You can get a chronological Bible. I have one. But the Bible is not in chronological order. Today I'm going to talk about an event that took place near the end of the Old Testament almost where the, you know, there's a 300-year space there where things got very quiet at the, at the end of the New Testament and, and or Old Testament. And so we're going to talk about an event that took place in the book of Daniel. We read about the time when God's people, the Jews, were going through 70 years of punishment and discipline in Babylonian captivity for their rebellion against God and his laws. And this is the time period we're set in. 
set in this morning. It's in the book of Daniel that we read about God revealing himself to some pagan people, to some people who didn't serve him, amen, uh, revealing himself through Daniel's miraculous deliverance from the lion's den. And, and then Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego at the same time period uh, uh, from the fiery furnace, God showed himself and he showed Jesus in the middle of that fire. Amen. The events of the Old Testament actually conclude with the ending of the Babylonian captivity and those events are recorded in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. So here's the deal. So if the Old Testament were in order of events, the last three books of the Bible, or the Old Testament, would be Esther, Ezra, and then Nehemiah. Nehemiah would actually be the last book of the Old Testament. So now let's talk about, let's, let's talk about what I want to talk about, frustrating situations, frustrating people. Ezra, Ezra came back, Ezra, a priest of God, him and, and, and a lot of people that were released to come back to Jerusalem from, from the Babylonian captivity. They, they came back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, is the place where God chose to put his name. And, and so they, they're allowed to come back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in total ruins. The walls are torn down. I don't know if you've ever studied the temple, the, 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 the Solomon's temple was the, was, may have been the most expensive building ever built in history. And, and it was completely destroyed on all of the gold and all of the silver and all of the, all of the relics and all the bronze was taken, taken and the temple destroyed. And Ezra brings back a group of people from captivity and they settle in Jerusalem and he builds a new temple. It's just a shack in comparison to the former temple. And then later, Nehemiah returned, and you all know I love Nehemiah. Nehemiah returned and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Ezra led a group of people back, and they had been in captivity all their lives. Now, I want you to think about this. You see, we, 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 we don't have... We've never been through. It's hard for us to grasp this kind of thing because we have always lived in this free land to choose. You see, you've made a decision and a choice. And by the way, this is a beautiful group on, on Memorial Day weekend. This is a great group. I did not have the expectation that there would be this many here on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, but but we, we get to choose whether we go to church or not go to church. We get to choose whether we, uh, whether we go to the store or we don't go to the store. Uh, but, but we've never lived in any kind of captivity where we were slaves and just totally made to follow some rules and regulations that somebody put on us. There were a few old people returning to Jerusalem who'd actually lived there before and seen the former glory, and now they see total runs. And that's the reason why, if you've looked at Ezra, that's the reason why some of the people, I know you're getting a Bible lesson here, I've got a, I've got a message. That's the reason why some of the people, when, 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 the, when they rebuilt the temple and, and they're having a dedication and some of the people were cheering and some of the people were crying.
because they remembered the former glory and many of these folks had never known anything except the cap captivity and so this was an amazing thing for them to be able to worship in the temple of the true and living God. They lived under the rule of pagans. These folks who come back, they much like much like uh, the, the folks that, that uh, Moses brought out of Egypt. These folks had lived for 70 years. This is a generation of people who had not who had not been lived the ways of God or taught the ways of God. They lived as pagans did not recognize or serve the only true and living God. These people were coming out from the bondage and influence of a totally pagan society. They were going to a place they'd never been to worship, to worship God, that they didn't know much, to worship the God that they didn't, the living God that they didn't know much about. They didn't know much about him. And without a doubt, they were carrying a lot of, Babylonian baggage with them. The ways of the Babylonians, the worship of the Babylonians had been instilled into them. I want you to know, and I hope you are too, we're talking, we're going to talk about frustration, but I, I, I hope that you're willing to deal with the baggage of new converts that new converts will bring with them when they come out of the years of captivity and sin. Do you understand, do you understand that it's not an overnight process? And expecting that it will be, and expecting that, that, that overnight there's going to be a, a instantaneous, glorious change and there is a change, but listen, there, I've re, I have come to know that we live in the most ignorant biblical society that America has probably ever seen. And to expect that someone is going to come out of years of captivity and sin that they're going to know anything about the ways of God is foolish and it's going to take it's going to take some patience and believe me sometimes it's going to be very frustrating because we're not always as patient as we ought to be with people and we have high expectations we have higher expectations than we ought to have amen I'm not expecting, my, my great-grandson is brilliant. He is brilliant. My great-grandson, in my eyes, there's none smarter than him. But it would be unrealistic for me to have an expectation that he can crawl up on my lawnmower that he absolutely loves and he can turn the engine on and ride around the yard. Well, why can't he? He's not there yet. He loves to get up on the seat and grab a hold of them handles. <coughs> he loves to get in my new side-by-side -side and sit in there and grab a hold of the steering wheel. I showed him how to beep the horn. 
But there is no expectation that we're going to turn the engine on and let him run that thing because he's not able. He's brilliant. He's talented. He is special, but he is still growing. You ever get frustrated with your children? Quit it! Stop it! This is the third time I've told you When is the last time you got so frustrated with your child that you took him and threw him out the door and said, that's it? I'm going to tell you how to deal with frustration in a little while. The process of getting babbling out of the people will take some time and patience. I promise it can't happen. aggravates me and bothers me when there's no patience of the people of God and folks would rather point out people's flaws and their failures rather than helping them and teaching them and doing something very important. People always should pray and not faint, not give up. Always pray and always pray and never give up. You show me where God said, I want you to give up. I want you to quit. I want you to bash them. I want you to trample on them. Ezra was the priest of God. He led in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. While all this is happening, Ezra got some really disturbing news. We're going to read about it. If you've got your Bible, you can look at Ezra, the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. When these things had been done, the Jewish leaders came to me and said, Many of the people of Israel listen many of the people of Israel and even some of the priests and Levites have not kept themselves separate from the other peoples living in the land they've taken up the detestable practices of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perez, uh, Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. For the men of Israel have married women from these people, and I want you to understand it was God's command that God's people did not marry folks who served pagan gods. It's God's command. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as for wives, uh, wives for their sons. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led the way in this outrage. outrage. 
imagine how Ezra felt when he got that news. Here's what he said. When I heard this, I tore my cloak, my coat, and my shirt, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down utterly shocked. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel came and sat with me because of this outrage committed by the returned exiles. And I sat there utterly appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. Come on, think about this. How often have you sit totally, completely angry, confused, disappointed, upset by a situation that's taking place and you just dwell on it hour after hour after hour after hour. You go to bed with it and you get up in the morning with it and it just plagues you because you're so frustrated. That's exactly where Israel was. We've all been frustrated by people to the point that we didn't even know what to do. Ezra was so angry and frustrated with the leaders and the people that he tore his clothes and pulled out some of his hair and beard. I I mean, that's, that's pretty upset. It's one thing to tear out your clothes. It's another thing to pull out your hair. It's precious. Besides that, it hurts. The people had rebelled against God's command. They entered into marriages with women and served and worshipped idols. The Old Testament command is much like what's written in the New Testament concerning who we should and should not marry. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this, Do not be equally unyoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness. We need to be careful who we bond ourselves with. Not only in marriage, but in business and other relationships in life. God sent us into the world to love and minister and be a light and reach out to people, but God absolutely told us we need to be careful who we become yoked with. That's not just a New Testament teaching, that's a Bible teaching from the beginning through the New Testament. You say, well, I don't like that. It doesn't make any difference what I like or what you like. It's what thus saith the Word of God that matters. Well, that doesn't fit with today's society. It doesn't make any difference. God's Word hadn't changed. God's Word hadn't changed. I'm going to read two, two quotes that you might want to remember. I've given these to you before, but I'm going to give them to you again today. The first one comes from A.W. Tozer. In fact, just repeat it with me. Talk to God about men before you talk to God, or before you talk to... Um, let's, let's try it again. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Get ahead of yourself, and that's what happens. Talk to God about men before you talk to men about God. All right, let's do that one more time. I want you to get that. Talk to God about men 
before you talk to men about God. All right, second thing. This quote comes from Andrew Murray. When I work, I work. When I pray, God works. I'm, I'm, I'm about to help you. I'm, I'm about to help you. When I work, I work. When I pray, God works. <laughs> Amen. Well, let's read. Let's go, let's go back to Ezra 9. I'm going to read two of the verses that I previously read, and then we're going to move on, and we're going to see what happens. When I heard this, I tore my cloak and my shirt, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down utterly shocked. Then all who trembled at the words of God of Israel came and sat with me because of this outrage committed by the returned exiles. And I sat there utterly appalled until the time of the evening sacrifices. At the time of the sacrifices, I stood up from where I sat in mourning with my clothes torn. I fell to my knees and lifted up my hands to the Lord my God. I prayed. Shout it with me. I prayed. Oh God, oh my God, I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift my face to you, for our sins are piled higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, we have been steeped in sin. That is why we and our kings and our priests have been at the mercy of pagan kings of the land. We have been killed, captured, robbed, and disgraced, just as we are today. But now we have been given a brief moment of grace. But now we have been given a brief moment of grace. For the Lord our God has allowed a few of us to survive as a remnant. He has given us security in this holy place, Jerusalem. Our God has brightened our eyes and granted us some relief from our slavery. For we were slaves. For we were slaves. But in his unfailing love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. He brought me up from the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. That's all I know. Instead, he caused the kings of Persia to treat us favorably. He revived us so we could rebuild the temple of our God and repair its ruins. Things may be in ruins today, but God's got a plan to rebuild some stuff. He has given us a protective wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. And now, oh, our God, what can we say after all of this? 
after you've been so gracious and merciful to us, after you've given us the opportunity to have freedom again. But once again, we have abandoned your commands. Ezra must have had, and how often do you have a desire to open your mouth when you're frustrated? How many of you usually open your mouth when you're frustrated? How many oftentimes wish you wouldn't have opened your mouth when you were frustrated? I want you to see what a wise man did. Ezra must have had a great desire to rebuke the leaders and the people who had sinned so greatly against the clear-cut command of God. But he thought better of doing anything before he prayed. He sat there all day long. He is steaming. He is angry. He's got some blood on his head and on his face where he pulled the hair out of his head. His clothes are torn. He is angry. He is mad. He is disappointed. And he's thinking about how good God has been to us. And immediately, just a short time after we get back here from Babylon to worship our God, we are now diving right back into the sins of the pagans. But he doesn't open his mouth. He sets that to the evening sacrifice and then he Shout this with me. Prayer. That's not a shout. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes people. So instead of reacting based on the desire of his flesh, are you ready to learn a thing with me? So instead of reacting based on the desire of his flesh, he fell on his knees, lifted up his hands, and began to pray. Now I want you to pay close attention what happened while Ezra was praying. In the 10th chapter of Ezra, verses 1 and 2, it says this, says this while Ezra prayed and made this confession, weeping and lying down on the ground in front of the temple of God, a very large crowd of people from Israel, men, women, and children, gathered and wept bitterly with him. Shout conviction. Shout Holy Spirit. Dealing with the hearts of people changes everything. The Shekinah, uh, the, uh, then Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, a descendant of Elam, said to Ezra, Boy, I'm glad we got easier names now. We have been unfaithful. We have been unfaithful. We have been unfaithful to our God, for we have married these pagan women of the land. But in spite of of this, there is hope for Israel. In spite of our mess, in spite of our sin, in spite of the fact that we may have failed this week, there is still hope for us. 
Ezra never said a word to the people. God may be saying to you, stand still, keep your mouth shut, and see my salvation. Just be quiet, stand still, and see what I'll do. Ezra never said a word to the people, but he prayed. One man praying, one man praying, say it with me, one man praying, produced a flood of repentance. I said, one man praying produced a flood of repentance of a multitude of people while Ezra was praying. I said, while Ezra was praying, God was talking to the people. While Ezra was praying, God was talking to the people. You can talk to your blue in the face and it may not do any good, but when God talks, it'll change everything. While Ezra was praying, God is talking to the people and convincing them of their sins. One word from God is more powerful from 10,000 uh, of, of 10, words from you and me. All the talking we do rarely produces the results we want. Can you shout amen? We talk and we talk and we don't get the results we want. Do you understand the most powerful and important thing that we can do today is call on God. Call on God. Call on God. Your family. Your family member. And your friends may have frustrated you to the point of making you want to pull your hair out. And you, made a, you may have made a fool out of yourselves with the words that you've spoken. And you may have driven a wedge between you and people that you love because you just could not keep your mouth shut. Can we learn a principle today that I promise you... The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful. You can't convict them of their sins. You can't deliver them from their addictions. You can't change them from their sinful ways or cause them to want to be saved. But the Spirit of God can. Prayer is powerful. We need to learn how to pray again. James 5, 16, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Prayer. God's people pray, sometimes the ground shakes. Now, if you know anything about it, I don't have time to go back and recount these, these things in Scripture, but sometimes when people pray, the ground shakes. When people pray, sometimes prison doors swing open. Sometimes when God's people pray, uh, uh, Jesus shows up in the middle of a fiery furnace. If you would stop pulling your hair out. Stop tearing your clothes. Stop ranting and raving and start praying. You could see the hand of God working in the hearts of people that all of us together could never change on our own. 
just feel like preaching today. I just can't believe. How many times? How many times have we shook our heads, threw up our hands in frustration as we watch the people that we love desperately dive deeper into rebellion against God? It's frustrating. And you cannot do a thing about it. You cannot do. Yes, you can. You can pray. You can pray. What you can't change, God will change. You notice what I said. I said what you cannot change, God will change. When we seek His face, when we call on Him, you see, we've become a people so dependent on our money and on our stuff and on our things. Come on. Come on. We've become a, a people dependent on what we can do because we're talented. We're able. We can do so many things. But we do not have the ability to change the course of people, to change their hearts, to change their minds, to change their walks. But God can. We've got to learn how to pray again. It's when we come to the point of giving up and putting our trust in God that something powerful and life-changing can happen to those people that have frustrated us so very much. The power of the Holy Spirit's conviction is much greater than your confrontation. God is still saying, Cooper's heavy. And if you notice me and Danny pass him back and forth before service, I'm thinking he's wearing my back out and I gotta stand up here and preach. My back don't hurt now, but it is hurting standing over there. There's an animal called a blue wilder beast. Big animal. I want you to know something unique. This, this animal is unique because when the blue wilder beast sees an enemy approaching, it gets on its knees to fight. Do you hear me? It has more leverage when it's on its knees. The blue wilder beast kicks with its back legs. And so when the thing gets down on its knees, it's the most powerful in that place. So anytime a wilder beast sees an enemy, immediately gets into the kneeling position because it is saying, this is the best way that I can fight my enemies. We need to talk God about men before we talk to men about God. Remember, Ezra did not have to say one word. When he prayed, the multitude came weeping with humility and a spirit 